Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. Well, I'm just going to share with you uh, what happened to me and uh, what I'm doing today. And, uh, and hopefully it'll encourage you uh, with a spirit of boldness to come upon you. So I'll be praying for at the end, the spirit of boldness to come upon us so that we're bold and not be uh, fear of man because the fear of man can bring up a snare, the Bible says. I was born on Friday the 13th of June, uh, way back a long time ago, and uh, I had my father who was a good dad and I had a good mum. They're both in heaven right now, but uh, my father was an atheist, um, a major atheist for many years. And he was one out of nine brothers and sisters. So he had no one, no father. And uh, so he brought me up the same way that he learnt. And he learnt how he learnt was stealing. So at a very young age, dad would take me out with him and we would break into places. And, uh, you know, that was just the way things were. We would break into the chemist shops. It was just crazy. But I didn't know any different. That was just the way it was. When I was very young, I went to a school down in Preston, near a, a, it was what they call little they called it Little Chicago. It was a, a, a street called Crevalley Street in you know, a Tyler Street there, and it was a real rough, rough uh, school, and um, so there was a lot of bullies there. So I asked my mum and dad, could they put me through some sort of at a very young age, and they did. They put me through a martial arts course that lasted a long, long time. I got very good at it, and I kept going ahead with it. And, and mixed it with, even at a very young age, but I mixed it with street fighting and become very, very good at it. Anyway, as, uh, as I'm going along in life and with me and Dad, we're just going out stealing and doing stuff like that and thinking nothing of it, um, I got to the age of 11 and my first major place in trouble with the police is I accidentally shot the lady next door with a 22. And, uh, and what I mean is um, I didn't kill her, obviously, it, it grazed her arm, but, you know, she had to go to hospital and she was pretty freaked out. I had a 22, I just fired it in the backyard. Didn't realise it would go through fences and doors. And uh, I think it was only a little tiny bullet. That won't go nowhere. Well, anyway, that was my first trouble with the police. And, um, and, and, and that can, continued on. And what I mean by that is I, I was always like a leader. I had a lot of people come after me and we would go out and break the law by stealing cars and last year of shops and fighting I was in locked up so many times through fighting hurting people and I was like I said I was pretty good at it so uh, at one stage there uh, the Bandura Hotel were looking for um, bouncers what they call bouncers they call them security people now and uh, I got to around 18 19 years old and I thought man I could do that along with my other job and what a good job that'd be So I started in that pub as the bouncer, became the head bouncer, worked there for six years running two pubs, the Nixon Zone, and uh, I really loved it at the time because it was good fun. I drank a lot and, um, you know, fought a lot. And during that six years, um, I never lost a fight. Honestly, it was was just the way I was. And I always thought one day, one day I'm going to kill someone with my hands and my feet. And... That was all I was ever worried about. I was never really scared of any one person, but always thinking, someday I'm going to kill someone. I, I don't know where to stop, you know. I just keep going. And sometimes I'd look down the ground, two or three 
Four people would be on the ground and it was just me. It was just the way I was. Absolutely insane. I felt probably filled with demon spirits and stuff like that. I didn't understand all that. In my whole life, in my, um, in, um, in, in my time, in my family, sorry, none of them, not as far back as I knew, both sides were Christians. It had nothing to do with Christianity. So that's just the way it was. You don't think of anything else. At the time in the Bandura, the cook, the head cook came up to me one day and, and he said to me, he said, Terry, um, you want to try some of this? It's marijuana. And I said, oh, well, what does it do? He said, it's just pretty good. So I started smoking our marijuana and I thought, you know, this stuff, if there was a God, he's made it just for me. And because I used to think, you know, it, it, I could still fight on it. I could still do my work, but it took the killer part of, out of me. And, and, uh, and I thought, wow, that's pretty good stuff. So I, I kept smoking marijuana and came along. At the time, my father, he came up with this fantastic idea how to beat the bookies at the racetrack. And I thought, well, I watched Dad. I watched him for a while and then joined him. And um, used to carry a lot of money and a gun, a little gun in my pocket and stuff like that. Go down the racetrack and, well, you know, I said to Dad, he, he'd come up with this idea of how it was never, you know, like he'd make a lot of money with it, but it loses one time a year. And I said, how much do you lose, Dad? He said, I don't know. So we kept going and we kept going along that path. Well, that year it lost twice. And I lost a lot of money. I mean a lot of money. Uh, basically a house, cars, boats, everything, and the whole lot went. It was a long story. And it's hard to get into, but I, you know, I can't have got the time to get into. But that's what happened to me. Right at that stage, I went back to the massage part, to the, sorry, to the, the Bandura Hotel, and I ran into an old friend of mine who's now passed away. His name was Rodney Robinson. Rodney Robinson was a very bad criminal. He was very heavily mixed up in the underworld, um, and uh, he, he was a big guy, had one eye, and a frightening-looking fella. But uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, Tess, how you going? I heard you had a bad go at the racetrack. I said, yeah, mate, lost a lot of money today. And he said, uh, he said listen, I just acquired a brand new uh, massage parlour where they have prostitutes and stuff like that. And he said, down the heart of St Kilda. And he said, I'm looking for a partner. You want to come in with me? I said, Putin, didn't you just hear I just lost a lot of money? He said, Terry, let me say something to you. You've been in this pub for six years. You know the good women and you know the bad women. You run the women, you get the women and run them. And he said, we'll go halves and a profit, cost us nothing. I went, sounds good to me. So I went down there and we started it. We started running it real good and ran the one next door. And the weirdest part of that place was my door in, 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 uh, in the Rally Street there was right opposite, right opposite our parlour. There was three parlours, K1, K3 and K5. I was in K1 and right opposite was another door across the road and it was a big convent where they taught priests to be priests. And I used to see these guys come over and talk to the ladies and they weren't talking about God, they were wanting to know prices and I thought I just can't understand this. You know, I, I, that's when I would start to like, you know, you'd pray if you're in trouble. i say, hey God, if you're up there, what are your people doing coming to my place? I'm a bad guy. But these people, I can't work all that out. Well, of course, you know, you've got to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, filled with the Holy Ghost. And, of course, a lot of those people feel called to God, but they, they're not born again, some of them. Anyway, I didn't know that till later. The thing is, I was pretty confused at the time. Now, right there and then, 
Um, you get mixed up with gangsters, you, get, you go down a, a dark hole and I was well known for who I was in, in, in the underworld and got mixed up with some pretty bad, some pretty bad dudes. And um, one of, what happened is I went out one night, I took the ladies out, there were six ladies working for us, and I took them out after we closed the parlour down and um, took them out just to have a drink with them one night. And uh, I had a fight with um, quite a few uh, young guys. And, uh, and one of them basically hit, I, I got a couple of them, but one of them hit me over the head with a, an iron bar and broke me cheekbone that was hanging down here. Had to have an operation. So I go into uh, the hospital, have this operation. And um, after the operation, they give you morphine. I went, boy, oh, boy, that's pretty good stuff, you know. I like that. You're sort of like floating off the bed, you know. And uh, anyway, so I came back to the parlour after that. And while I came back, there was a guy in there trying to sell heroin to the ladies. Well, I didn't like heroin. Morphine and heroin all come from the same sort of plant. But anyway, I grabbed, uh, I grabbed the heroin from him. I gave him a beat and threw him out. And it was a couple of days later, a young lady, Robin and myself, sat there and I thought, what on earth does this do to people? And, um, and she said, I don't know. I said, let's try some. So I, I, I rolled up a $20 bill, whatever it was, and I snorted this heroin. Little did I know that it was going to cause me to be a heroin addict for the next almost five years of my life. So, um, you know, it was pretty bad. Now, at the time... Uh, I had a hatred against the police. I've got to say to you, God changed everything in my life later. You know, my oldest son today has just become, well, this last week, the Victorian Inspector of Police down in Victoria. It's amazing what God can do and change things around. But at the time, I absolutely hated the police, hated them. So um, I, I was mixed up with all these big barristers and uh, they would smoke dope with me, you know. And one of them was very famous. And uh, in those days, he came to me and he said, oh, let's go out together. I've got something to talk to you about. We go out and we smoke and date. And he said, listen, Tess, your parlour's been pinched three times with the ladies. They've not given you up. The coppers know who you are and they want you. Or you can pay them money to the head of the vice squad and uh, they're going to let you go. I said, what? And I just threw him out. I said, you go back and tell them I'll pay them nothing. Well... You can't really fight corruption that easy. It's not easy. And it was only a small period, maybe a few months go by, and basically they shut me down. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't work anymore because I wouldn't pay them any money. I came out of that and started selling to the streets down, to the prostitutes and that down in St Kilda in Fitzroy Street. Got really well known at it. And what happened was uh, one night, one afternoon there, I got really... Um, I thought, I hate this heroin. I hate what it's doing. It's been a couple of years of it. And uh, what happened was uh, the, the BLF, who knew me because of my fighting ability, uh, I'd gone down there. They were building a tunnel, uh, a, a, trail, a rail station, straight underneath Parliament House in Melbourne at the end of Burke Street, across the road from there. You've got the Parliament House directly underneath it, two or 300 feet, and they were building that. And they came up to me, our friends, and said, hey, Tez, come up and have a drink with us. We're knocking off early. And I thought, yeah, you know, why not get away from heroin for a while? So I go up with them, and we drink it in the Windsor Eakers Hotel right opposite Parliament House. Always two policemen standing there in uniform. 
my friend Murray decides, you know, I've had enough, I'm too drunk. He decides to go home. Now, these coppers were just going to arrest him, lock him up overnight, let him go the next day. Uh, me being a big hero, when I watch this, I'm still drinking in the bar, and I'm watching this take place. They're grabbing him across the road, and I thought, no, no way. So I went out down, I went whack, whack, and knocked them both completely out. They're on the ground. This is a hot Friday afternoon, 3 p.m., cars everywhere in the middle of, uh, you know, right in, at the end of Burke Street, right in the middle of Melbourne. And then another car pulls up, playing car, and a guy jumps out with a suit. I knew he had to be a copper because he went for his gun. I kicked him. I'd done a, a, a proper martial arts kick, broke his nose. He went down, and then there's three of them on the ground. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here. So cut a long story short, they caught me not far down the road, and then they took me back in the divvy van back to uh, Russell Street headquarters, closed those big gates, I'll never forget watching that, through the back doors. They had me handcuffed and then my, uh, quite a few of them, uh, one on each arm, one on my back, and the, the big sergeant started to teach me not to fight police. That's the best way. Now, the only way they would let me go out on, um, you know, on bail was that I'd have to sign the next day a, a letter saying that all the bruises on my body were not from them. Well, I just wanted to get out. So I said, yep, no, they were not from them. I did that beforehand. And I got out. Just a short time later, they come and grabbed me, and I went to Pentridge. And I thought, wow, because of me fighting, I'm in Pentridge. I'm in jail now. All the things I didn't want to do was not hurt anybody and, and end up in Pentridge prison through my fist and feet. I was sort of mad at myself. But you know what? You can still get heroin inside those jails. And the very next day in the, out in the yards, of course, I get a guy call me out, bang, I'm on the hill. I'd done a long time in prison, but I got out of jail and I thought, yeah, because you know what you do in prison? It's not a correction, they call it correction, it's not. What you do is you sit there with other crims during the day and you talk about how you got caught and what to not do next time when you're out there. That's the way it is. Anyway, so I get out of prison, I rang a friend of mine uh, we used to call him Mr Magoo because he had these big thick glasses on. Ian Davies his name. I said, get me a couple of guns, Ian. He said, all right, what do you want? I said, well, you know, Magnums. So he goes out, gets two brand new Magnums and uh, one was a 22 and one was a 44. And uh, I went into arm hold-up. I started doing arm hold-ups everywhere. Started doing anything I could to raise the money for my heroin. The police were looking at me pretty bad. They just wanted to put me back into prison. Um, you can put that picture up if you're still there of uh, Pentridge Jail, it just shows you a little bit of it and um, that's the prison there that I went into, it's still there today although they don't, it's all different now, it's more of a, uh, you know, you can go in and see it and then, so what happens then is, I mean, I'm just getting pretty seriously crazy and uh, into arm hold ups and doing stuff like that and um, Next minute, you know, I'm down the, gold, down the Fitzroy Street and I get caught twice. I mean, it was a pretty serious, crazy idiot I was. I get caught twice. Um, and now uh, I'm, I, was, I got out on bail for both cases. There was uh, nine serious charges. Um, and I was looking, I went and seen a barrister, looking at, you know, stick that other picture up in my mug shot. This is um, one I'm not proud of, but it's the way it was. And, uh, and that was what I was doing and that was the way I was living. And uh, it was just a terrible way to live, but I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop myself. So I, I'm doing these um, hold-ups and I'm doing pretty crazy stuff. And 
you know, banks, anything I could get my hands on that was, I would do. And I'd always do it by myself. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to give up anyone if I get caught or if I get shot, it'll be me. And uh, I always take down a few police with me. So you sort of think in my head. But anyway, I just go along that way. Now, I had people working for me as what they call cat burglars. Cat burglars are someone that will go up and get up in a couple of flights of stairs, go into your bedroom where you're asleep and you've got your rings, your gold, whatever, your watches, or your wallet right beside you, and they call them a cat burger, and they'll grab that, they're so good at it, and they'll bring that to me, and then I would give them heroin uh, for, for exchange of gold, melt the gold down, go and sell it and buy more heroin. And that was the way I was living. Now, one of those guys, I, there was, I had a couple working for me. One, Alan Enright, was incredible. But uh, we won't talk about him today. I'll talk about the other one I had... Another friend of mine, and um, he was a cat burglar, but he was uh, one to get caught a lot. He got caught and he was thrown in prison before he went to and got out on bail. Now, when he got out, I, ha- I asked him, I said, hey, bro, how, how'd you go when, when ha- hanging out on heroin? He said, Terry, he said something real weird happened. I said, what? He said, June. June was his girlfriend. And, you know, the Bible talks about New Testament that God can use a donkey in the Bible to get to us, right? Well, June was a person, probably a backslidden Christian. She'd sell heroin, but she talked about Jesus. So, you know, really mixed up. But she, she had prayed for him in the name of Jesus that he would not hang out. So he gets out at prison and says, I didn't hang out. She prayed for me. I said, what do you mean? Pray for, prayed for me in the name of Jesus. I said, you tell June I want to speak to her. Because, you know, I'm just looking at six years ahead of me in prison. I don't know what's going on. And uh, my court cases hadn't come up. And I'm just sitting there. My brain's going. I'm still doing arm hold-ups. I'm having three sort, different sorts of police squads come into me. Arm hold-up would break into my... Not break in. They'd just smash my front door in. And then, um, then I'd have the, uh, the drug squad and also the special squad because of the people I was harbouring, which is the cat burglars. And they would come in on every second, third day, you know. I mean, I replaced a couple of doors in that place. I got sick of it. The next time I wrote a big message on the front door, police, door is unlocked, please come in. And I mean, it was crazy. The way I was living was crazy. Anyway, so June comes and sees me and says, yes, Terry, um, I pray. You want to get out of this, don't you? I said, I hate this life. She said, well, I'm going to give you a little prayer to pray and you start doing it. She said, the little prayer was just ask Jesus, show you the way one day at a time. Now, after I got saved, I realised that is a scripture. It says Psalms 32 verse 8. I'm going to instruct and guide you on the best pathway for your life. But I didn't know what it was. I just prayed that, you know, Lord help me, show me the way one day at a time. I kept doing, you've got to understand, I had no information in my brain about God and about what was good and what was wrong. So I kept doing arm hold-ups, kept going and doing break-ins and anything I could. Now, um, this time, though, I'm praying to God, oh, don't let me get caught, Lord, you know. <laughs> so anyway, what happens is I was, this was going to be my last arm hold-up. Well, I didn't know it was going to happen, but this is what happened. I go out this night, all the guys that live with me, the gang, other gangsters, they'd taken off up the road in Cheddar Road Reservoir. It's all in that videotape. Uh, DVD, and so they take off up the road, and the place is quiet. I go out to do an arm hold up that night. I go out there, stuck, and I took the brand new 22 Magnum. I go out there, 
And I, I go into the place, masked up and everything, and I told the guy, open the safe, get the money out. The guy, I can't believe, how, you know, he was very scared, obviously, the way I was. So he undoes the safe. Then he froze in fear. He could not move. His body wouldn't move. He was about six foot from me on the other side of it, like a bench. And I jumped over there. I was so mad. Well, before I jumped over, I said, I'll just wound him in the head. <laughs> Hard to believe that I was like that. I fired the gun at his face, thinking I'll just put a bullet through his ear and that will make him do what I want. Well, I went click and the gun never went off. And I went, whoo. And I turned the gun around, I jumped over and I hit him over the head, knocked him out, grabbed the cash and went back to my place. Before I did, I went and got a lot of heroin, a lot of heroin. I came back, had a massive big hit of heroin. And now people said to me after this, oh, maybe the heroin made you see this vision or whatever. I said, well, if it did, I'm still having it, you know, 30, 40 years later. But anyway, what happened is I have a massive hit and I'm right off my face. And then in the backyard, I thought, what happened to that gun? What happened to the brand new bullet? I looked at the bullet undone the chamber and it's been hit by the hammer. I stuck it back in, went out the backyard and I fired it and it went off. Same gun, same bullet. That's when, right this second in time, it was like I was looking at a mirror of me. I thought, my goodness, I've become this monster. I can't believe I've become like this. I nearly killed a guy for a couple of grand. I can't believe this is happening. And uh, I thought of what June told me. I went back into my room and I sat there and for the first time in my entire life, I started to cry. And I mean, I started to cry really bad, heavy, just pouring out of me. And I'm praying that scripture, that, well, that word that she gave me, ask Jesus to show you the way one day at a time. As I'm praying that, I'm on my knees beside my bed. I had a, like a, a, a fluorescent type load globe in the place. The room became brighter and brighter. I stopped praying. What's that? Started praying again. I'm thinking, the, is that globe going to explode or whatever? Why is it so bright? This all happened in milliseconds. As I'm praying, the room got so bright it got brighter and brighter and brighter. Then I heard that I had, I knew it had to be, I heard a voice which I had to be God. And I heard the voice of God speak to me and he said, Terry Walker, because you've called on my name, I'm going to pull you out of this and seat you in high places. Oh, it freaked me out. I mean, I'd never been scared of anyone. I was so, uh, you know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is for our good always. It's not a wrong fear, it's a good fear. I ran out that room, out of that brightness, and, and, and understand this must sound funny, but this is exactly what I said. I turned into the bright when I was out in the dark room, and I looked back in the brightness and I said, Jesus, I'll do anything for you. Just don't make me a Bible basher. And <laughs> I have a feeling the Lord might have laughed at that too. But I've but I got to say something to you. The moment I come out of that room, I realised I was completely sober. There was no heroin in my body. From that day to this, no heroin has ever come into me again. I didn't withdraw. I didn't go through any pain. I knew God had touched me. It's a long story because it, 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 my, all my gangster mates just come back a few hours later or an hour or so later. They walk in and, and I think I was illuminated or something, you know, because I'd, I'd, I'd been in the presence of God. I didn't understand it. But I must have looked brighter or something because they were, what's going on, Tez? What's, you, where, where you been? And I said, Jesus just came in the room and he spoke to me and I went, oh boy. 
And so they just freaked out and got away from me. But and I went through a heavy spiritual warfare. So the next thing I did is I said, Lord, you know, I know you're there. I know you're there, but I've I, I, I got to sort myself out. I'm looking at six years. What am I going to do? I'd had this incredible experience with God, but I jumped bail and I took off. Over the next three years, I became one of Victoria's uh, most uh, wanted at the time, but I didn't know what was going on. A year and a half into that, I met my wife, Susie. I'm not going to go into it because it's too long a story. Incredible story just by itself. But uh, I ended up walking into a church um, a year and a half after I'd taken off. What I was good at doing was um, making new licenses and everything. So I just put a new license in the system and uh, all legal and everything like that. I just, I was good at doing it. And uh, I, I put that into the system. You didn't have to have pictures on your license in those days. So it was real easy. And I just put me another name, another date of birth, uh, and then went on in life like that. And um, cause so I get, you know, Susie and I meet up. I, I ended up after that year and a half, I said, oh, there's been a miracle service happening in Garden City. I want to go and have a look at it. So I went down there that day. And then the pastor, Clemenock, said, who'd like to invite Jesus in the heart? I, I had a fight within me, of course, as you'd know. And I put my hand up, I accepted Jesus. He said, come down the front. And he said, um, what have you done, son? I said, listen, pastor, I'm a wanted man. There's smashing down doors everywhere for me now in Victoria. What'll I do about it? Should I give myself up? He said, I don't know, son. I've never met anyone like it. <laughs> he said, so, he said, just stay in the church. So for the next year and a half, what I did was I went out with a very experienced a woman who was a lot older than me, but she, her name was Pat Erlinson. And Pat taught me so much about evangelism. Incredible stuff. I see miracles. I just wanted to be an evangelist. I knew my calling had to be with these prostitutes and people on the ground. You know, like I just knew it. I could see it because Pat was really good at doing all that. So I get married to Sue and three months later... I'm down the beach this day and I'm just, I had a job, Sue had a job, we were going real good and I, and I was just praying every day, Lord, keep showing me the way one day at a time. And then uh, I, I heard the Lord speak to me this day and I was in the water at first. He said, do you trust me, Terry? I said, Lord, you know, just inside me, not that audible voice. I've heard that a couple of times, but not this time. He just said, do you trust me? I said, yes, Lord, I trust you. I'm down up on the beach. He said it again. Yes, Lord, I trust you. I got home in my unit and um, I'm just standing there and I heard that voice speak to me again. And who God and she said to me, do you trust me, Terry? I said, Lord, you know, I'll do anything for you. And then he said to me, plain and simple, well, give yourself up to the Melbourne police. I went, oh, Jesus, I've just been married three months. That might have been the devil. Was that the devil? <laughs> I looked down at my, I was standing up and I looked down, I'll never forget it, and my Bible was open at, at uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 16, it says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. I want, he wants me to go to jail. The Lord wants me to go to prison. Now, of course, you know, people in the church have seen me change. So it was, uh, there was people um, objecting to that, and especially Sue. We'd only been married three months. But I did give myself up. They extradited me, long story. They extradited me and they put me back into prison, in the Pentridge. And, uh, and this time, you know, uh, you can go on um, you can, what they call remand. You can stay there for 12 months. And I didn't know how long I was going to be in there. I thought, well, they'll take that off me in sentence. 
But uh, I went on remand and then a miracle started taking. You know what with God I found out? You've got to put your foot out first. When you put your foot out first, that's when God starts to do things. It's not like people say, my dad used to say, tell him to show me a miracle. I said, no, 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 no. You put your foot out first, Dad. But anyway, I'd done that and that's when everything in the courtroom changed. I was the last man in court. I was able to lead a lot of people to the Lord. In the prisons, I'd be walking up and down and just saying, Lord, send me a soul. So God started to do this incredible work inside Pentridge Jail. It was massive. I go to court. The magistrate was in a bad mood. I was the last one locked up, bought in. And he said, hurry up. I went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he said, uh, what are you going? well, what happened? My, my father offered me a barrister. And I said, Dad, what is the use of a barrister? I'm pleading guilty. You're going to pay him 10000 bucks, And I'm pleading guilty. I'll do it for nothing. So, <laughs> so Dad, he couldn't talk me into it. So I went in there. And then they, the, the four detectives on the two court cases, a miracle happened. They all happened to be in Victoria on that same day. It's an incredible story. But they all start. You've got to read out your, your, um, you know, your priors. I've got three pages of priors. And then they have to read out, you know, do you, uh, you, 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 know, do you plead on this one? Guilty, Your Honour. Nine charges, guilty, Your Honour. At the end... He said, what do you got to say to yourself? You know, what's going on? No one's standing for you. So I went into it explicitly about what happened in that room and how I changed and how God changed me. And in the end, I seen the countenance on that judge change. And he stood up and he was almost crying. And he said, I could hear different people like one copper would say, uh, Your Honour, we're going to drop one charge here. And then another one said, Your Honour, we're going to drop a charge here. I went, wow, praise the Lord. And then the next thing, the, the uh, magistrate stood up and he said, I, by law, have got to send you back to prison. He said, but you know what? I've seen the miracles that have taken place in your life and uh, with what we showed him and everything. And uh, he said, it's, it's going to keep going. And what had happened, yes, they did stick me back into prison. And the funny part about it was, uh, right there and then, the prisons in Victoria were so full, they were getting the lower cases, not murderers, of course, but lower cases, and they were getting them out. And I happened to be one of those. Amen. God was just, just at the right time. And so what had happened with... Um, Instead of doing, because I mean, the judge rattled off nine months here, six months there, not to serve. It's got to be done this concurrent, that not concurrent. This it went on. I'm like, oh. But you know what? I, I from the time I was arrested to the time I was set free was five and a half weeks. I mean, it was miraculous. Now God did show me. I'll get you out of here, but I want to bring you back into the prison and share, and which I end up doing for 12 years at Garden City Christian Church. So I got out, I started a little business, everything was going good, and then started the, because of time, I can't go into it, but um, started the tribe of Judah. You can put up a couple of those pictures of the tribe now. And uh, we ran that, the tribe of, we, well, I, what I thought of doing was go into the highways and the byways. So we, we had racing Nitro Harley Davisons. God provided everything. It was amazing. You seen her little Les was here this morning. He's gone home now. My wife was here. She's got. A, I had to go to a wedding today. 
I believe today, but she had to. Anyway, um, little Ez would be the pilot on that bike and we would race that thing and it was amazing. We had, and, and God opened up the door for me to go into the outlaw field, the one percenters. In a couple of weeks from today, I'll be flying down to Melbourne uh, and I'm going into the Banditos clubhouse down there. They've opened up another door for me. Uh, there'll be many chapters of the Banditos. Uh, God is amazing. Had the, the favour of God that he's given me to open that door and share Jesus with them. You know, uh, I mean, they, there's people out there watching us all the time and, and they want to see you. But you know what? For the 22 years, they'd watched me and they'd never seen me join them. They knew my stand, our stand, Driver Judah, and they liked it. And they still do today. So God's so good. But yeah, so, and then from there, without going into too much time, the next thing I did was I started the Tribe of Judah care service. You could put up the pictures of the trucks. Um, some of my trucks were pretty big. We owned everything. God blessed us with a whole lot. Then we started to feed people. And uh, I had so much favour and still have today. The feeding people, you put that up there, we would feed thousands, like 3,000, 6,000 people uh, at a time. There'd be rows of people outside the tribe. Uh, Rama Family Church got involved with us at one stage. It was just fun. You might see another couple of pictures of the people. I'm not sure you've got them there, but so no, yeah, that big. Now, this is what I do today. I still feed people. I, I, uh, one thing I believe in, listen to me, look at this. I'm a big believer in tithing to your church. I tithe into this church. Uh, I'm a big believer in tithing. But I also do other things. I love helping people with food. So what these is, these are over in Uganda. Every week I feed uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids over there, street kids have got really good. And as well, Israel. We are helping people uh, get the, um, the Jews back into Israel and pouring money into that. God's blessed me so much to do that. Let me just say this to you, that my life, just like yours, the main thing for us to realise now is um, stir up the gift of God that's within us. The Bible talks about fanning the flame. And it says about boldness. I remember with me at Garden City, I'd walk out the front so many times every week and say, I want boldness. Put boldness on me. I want to be bold. I'm not going to be scared of men. You know, I used to think, dear Lord, you know, the, 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 the game I used to leave that was terrible. Uh, why should I be scared of anyone these days? But the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. So, you know, uh, but, you know, I kept going out the front and God placed it upon me. And, and I love doing that today. No matter, I was sitting there thinking the other day, you know, God's blessed me and Susie so much. We own our house, we own our cars, we own everything. God's been a blessing and a half. Tribe of Judah is still going. The care service around the corner, I don't run it anymore. He's come away from helping people. That's up to him. I don't, I don't know, there's nothing to do with me. But however, I sit there thinking about it, thinking all of God, all the good stuff God's done. And I think, you know what, it don't mean nothing compared to leading someone to Jesus, compared to sowing a seed in someone's life and, and not being afraid of doing it. And I started thinking, I, I go into it like anyone else and I, I, re, I believe that God will take his church away before the world gets really bad. You think about it now, I mean, boy, the yeses have become no's and the, no, and the truth has become a lie and opposite. 
I mean, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but that's the way life is right now. And I don't, I don't feel like we've got a long way. The Bible says you won't know the moment. We will not know the moment. But he does say you'll know the season. And, and I sort of believe we're in that season. It says, talks about a, a lady having birth pains. They get closer and closer. And I just feel like it's not far away. It can't be. I believe it's going to be in my lifetime before he uh, takes his church away. And I look into it. I, you know, um, Jimmy Evans and different great preachers, they're like a vitamin tablet to us. Church is church. You've got to come to church. But, you know, uh, there's some great preachers out there. Another one, Thomas Horn, you know, very, very good prophets. And, and he's been, you know, in 2004, NASA, uh, they discovered a... Um, and what do you call it, those big asteroids coming towards Earth. And uh, they called it a popus, and that means meaning the end of life. And uh, it's amazing. It's three footballs wide. It's running at 28,000 miles per hour. It's, if, it, if it does hit the Earth, because NASA said it would hit the Earth. They even told us the date and everything. It's still in there. However, they have changed now. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, they said it hit us Friday the 13th of April 2029. And uh, uh, when it does hit the earth, they said at the time it would be 2,000 times larger than Hiroshima. It'll poison the waters. Everything the Bible says about um, that'll take place. Um, they call it wormwood in the Bible. Anyway, if that was to take place, if that's true, well, what happened after that, by the way, NASA got so indated with the world, with well, what is going on, that they changed it and said, no, 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 sorry, we're wrong. It'll just miss the earth. It'll knock out a few of our satellites 200 kilometres up, but it won't hit the earth. They say it will hit, you know, Christian scientists say that's just crazy. If, if that thing does hit us uh, in the year 2029, i got to believe that we'll be gone way before that. That would be the start of the Great Tribulation. Before that, three and a half years, uh, maybe 2025, we, that, that may happen. But hang on, I'm not saying it will happen. We could go today. That's how close we are. There's nothing that's, that's not ready. I mean, the Lord could take us today. I have no idea. These are just warnings to me to say, but you know what God wants us to do? You can have all the money in the world. Money, I always say the, uh, the rain outside's free. It, it costs money to pipe it to your place. The gospel is free. It costs money to pipe it out there. So it's more important for me today is to get out there, do whatever I can with any bit of money I can to help the gospel, to do whatever we can to sow seeds in people's life. You don't have to be a great big evangelist. I mean, I'm not scared of going out and telling big truckies and all that. I don't care about it. Big outlaw bikers, I'm, I'm, you know, they, don't, they want to persecute me, I don't care. I just don't care. Let me say this to you, <clears throat> that it's so important. My wife, Susie, she's just got a little tiny track and that's her way of, of sowing seeds. She'll go up to someone who's sitting on the seat and who needs food. She'll pull out a dollar or something, not just nothing. She'll pull out a dollar or whatever it is, give them to them and say, look, would you promise me you'll read this? That's sowing a seed. That's what we should be doing, all of us, sowing seeds. Some will do it greater than others in, in bigger ways, whatever. 
but it don't matter. That's what God wants us to do. The most important thing in our lives today, in my heart, is a calling inside us to light the fire, to become bold as lions and not be afraid of the world. But tell them about Jesus in any way you can. You don't have to go up and be some sort of, you know, crazy, um, you know, sometimes I do some crazy things. You don't have to be like that. Just like Susie, little tiny seeds. When we first started out, me and Sue, we sowed those little tiny seeds. We were cleaning toilets. I got the sack because I cleaned the toilet and left a little trap. I got sacked. So <laughs> it's, it's part of life that we'll get persecuted. The thing is, it is so important for us to know Jesus. First of all, to know him. Invite him into your heart and life. If you have never invited Jesus into your heart and life, Today, you can do it. I'm going to pray a prayer, get us all to pray. And then after, I'll give it back to Benny then, and then I want to come pray for people for boldness to come upon you. Not be afraid to, not be afraid when you go to work to become a closet Christian. Let them know straight away. Everywhere I go, I let them know straight away. I'm a born again Christian. Do what you want, you know, like nicely. And then uh, some will come back and ask questions. That's all you got to do. And then that seed starts to, you know, you're, you're sowing seeds. And those seeds start to grow. Could be someone else coming on. But I'll tell you right now, that's the way to do it. And uh, let people know. Don't be afraid. Just let them know. Because there's a lot of people, they're just a little bit scared of saying you go to work. And if you told people at work you're a Christian, oh, no. They swear they do this. So what? Praise the Lord. Be nice about it. Don't be silly. But it is important for us to sow the seed because it's not long before Jesus comes back and takes his church out because the world's getting crazy. Would you all bow your heads, please? Let's all just pray this together. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, if you've never done that, you can say this prayer after me and uh, the Holy Ghost will come in to your heart. Let's say this together. Jesus... I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. Come into my life. I ask you to come into my heart and show me the way from now on in Jesus' name. I pray. While your heads are still bowed, if there's anyone in here that said that for the, fir for the first time, you've spoken it out, put your hand up and show the Lord that you mean business. Anybody at all. We might all be Christians. But it's not worth walking out of here and not giving someone an opportunity to find the Lord. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow, next day. None of us. I mean, we plan things, but you know, we don't know the future in that way. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.